We're going to start with a word of prayer this morning, okay? Father, we need you. You aren't leading us merely to safe places. We sang a song this morning that said uh, they could kill the body, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. And this Memorial Day weekend, we are very aware. We have lost uh, brothers and uncles and aunts and sisters And as we observe this Memorial Day weekend, we want to do so with both somberness of heart and also with faith in Christ. And so I pray you'd help us to do both of those things well this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. If you have your scriptures, open to Psalm 46. We're taking a brief uh, one week, actually two week, because next week will be our graduation Sunday, two week hiatus from our study in Acts. And we're in Psalm 46, which is a a psalm of the battlefield. We're reminded this Memorial Day weekend that, uh, you know, all of life is not uh, safe and easy. And the reality is, if we could talk to one another, I think every one of us would have an example of trouble that we're facing even this week, even maybe today, that we're dealing with in our lives. And so with that in mind and in, in your heart, uh, I just want to remind you uh, some, of the, some of the reasons why we observe Memorial Day. You don't recall, but, and I don't recall, but to read about uh, the, the day in 1921 when Congress enacted a, uh, a resolution which passed for the construction of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Arlington National Cemetery. And they construct this place where they're going to bring an an unknown soldier. And in World War I, 1,200 sons and daughters were left in France unknown. And so the Major General Harry Rogers was tasked with selecting an unidentified soldier from among the 1,200 buried in France. Major Rogers had four caskets brought into a small town in France, and each of the four unknowns who had died in fierce battle scenes throughout France uh, were laid before uh, him. And he also brought in six enlisted men. Of them, the picture appears on the screen here, Edward Younger. Sergeant Edward Younger was uh, involved in many fierce battle scenes He enlisted, and then when his tour in World War I was up, he enlisted a second time. He said to friends, uh, I'm an orphan. I don't have mom, dad. I I don't have family. I need to go back. Five times Edward Younger had gone over the top. Over the top was a a phrase they used when they went from the the trenches of World War I, which I'm sure you've seen depicted in, in movies or read about in various history books, Five times he went over the top into what they called no man's land to take ground. Twice he was injured, once near death, by shrapnel and machine gun fire. And so when, uh, when Major General, General Rogers heard about his military service and heard that Edward Younger had served in all of the places where the four uh, unknown soldiers had served, he chose Edward to choose the unknown soldier. So I could tell you a long story, but to make it brief, 
Edward was brought into a room. He placed his hand on the caskets of each of the unknowns. And then he said he just felt something calling him to the second casket on the right. And he laid those flowers out over possibly somebody that he had even fought with. And hence, Edward Younger chose the original unknown soldier who lies even to this day. And if we go to the next scene, this was enacted just a few years later. This is 1930. In this picture, Edward Younger is 32 years old. And he looks so much older. Here's a man who gave his, gave his uh, life, in a sense, on the battlefield. And he died 12 years later at 42. Um, not at long life expectancy after serving the way he did. So whereas on Memorial Day, friends, we remember and honor these unknown soldiers, we go to great lengths to honor those who gave all in the service of this country, and rightly so. But we here are going to have our eyes lifted even higher as we turn to Psalm 46. Because whereas these soldiers gave all for temporary political peace, this story points us to the attention to this reality, that one gave all for our forgiveness for sins. One gave all and was raised again to guarantee life everlasting. One gave all to make us free forever and ever. And so we're honoring Christ as we read Psalm 46. So let's do that. To the choir master of the songs of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, and though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God's in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. And Father, again, we come to you one more time, and we're asking you to illuminate our hearts. Teach us your word. We want to be a people with complete confidence in you. Though trouble surrounds us, we look to you, Father. And we ask for help this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look to the study of Psalm 46, I want to talk just a, a moment about it so we have our bearings of what Psalm 46 is all about. It's the fifth psalm in what we call book two of the psalms. There's five books in the psalms. And in this book two, we're focused on 
the, the idea that uh, Elohim, God, is the God to the nations. He's not merely and never was a God who was to be kept for Israel only. If we go back to Genesis 3.15, we have a promise to, uh, to Adam, to Eve, that there would be one who would make things right and would destroy the evil one. If we look at Genesis chapter 12, in Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And in Psalm, the second book of Psalm from 42 onward, God is a God of the nations and he calls all the nations to come and worship him. We can note that it was written by the sons of Korah, and we can note that it was definitely at a time of trouble. And if you have uh, times of trouble in your world, uh, friends, you are in good company. The the kinds of trouble are are listed here are are many. But we see right there in verse 1, he's a very present help in trouble. In the first stanza here, in verses 1 through 3, and we're going to say it like this, that when trouble comes, we should confidently trust God. When trouble comes, we confidently trust God. And so, uh, what kinds of trouble? All kinds of trouble. In this psalm, we can see, he's saying, look, here's the situation you might find yourself in. Verse 2, we will not fear even if the earth gives way. We will not fear though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. We will not fear though the waters roar and foam. We won't fear though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So if everything you know to be true about your life changes tomorrow, where you live, the borders of your home gives way and there's a landslide. Lake Michigan is no longer there when you wake up in the morning and in its place is a giant mountain. The the borders of Wisconsin or the United States of America or the world completely change. If everything we know to be about uh, true about the, the way things work in nature changes tomorrow, that's what he's getting at. God is the king. He's the creator. We're going to see that the key word in this whole psalm is earth, and it's used many, many times. God put the earth in its place, and he's the king. He's the creator over all of it. And we can have all sorts of trouble. He's poetically saying, even if everything you know to be true about your life changes today or tomorrow, we will not fear, and God is our help. So what kind of trouble do you find yourself in today? The word trouble there is the concept of being pressed from both sides. We're in a a narrows. We can't go right. We can't go left. We're pinched, and we don't know what to do. It's an event that comes suddenly and stays, and I would put forth that Psalm 46 is saying this kind of thing could stay for a long time, a trouble that comes uninvited and stays for a long time. You find yourself there? It's amazing to me that the inscription at the beginning of psalm 46 tells us who wrote this to the choir master of the sons of korah i turn back to Numbers 16 you can turn there with me or just listen but in, in numbers chapter 16 it's the story of korah's rebellion you remember that korah sets himself up and says what's the deal with moses why is he so great he set himself up as a prince We've got plenty of people that know how to connect with God and could help lead this country. Why does he get the place of honor? And there's a prayer that's offered to continue to bless 
Moses' leadership and to challenge Korah's rebellion. And in verse 30, Moses is praying, if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows up Korah and those with him and all that belong to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, the, the buried in the grave, then you will know that these men have displeased me, and then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 32 of number 16. And the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. And the next generation, the sons of Korah write in verse 2 of Psalm 46, we will not fear though the earth give way. Somebody in your past, and maybe the trouble came on them rightly, and they were judged. Maybe there's a bitterness in my heart toward the Lord, and I'm asking myself, could I lead the congregation of the Lord in singing, He is faithful if further judgment comes. He is faithful if the earth opens up and swallows us in this moment. The sons of Korah write, let's sing a song of faithfulness to the Lord. God is not the kind that constantly is judging. He's not looking for reasons to judge. He is bringing us close. In fact, if we look at what characterizes God in Psalm 46, look at verse 1. God is our, first of all, starts with God. You see that? You have trouble in your life that comes and stays? Start with God. God is our refuge. God is our refuge. The concept of refuge here, he is our place of protective shelter. He invites us to come in and get refreshed. He invites us to come in out of the trouble around us and be refreshed and have peace. He is our place of rest. He's our peace. He surrounds us with this protection from threat so that we can rest. Note that this is this is, his, this is who God is. This is who God is. Matt Redmond, who is a worship songwriter, we sing 10,000 Reasons and a lot of other songs that he, he writes. He says it like this. The throne room of God is not only, not only is a place of reverence, it's a place of refuge. If everything else in the world is breaking and shaking, apart. The throne room is a stable place, a constant place, an unshakable place that you can go and just hang out. That's the throne room of your God. And friends, when there's trouble all around, you need, you and I need a refuge, a safe place to go for help. So often we turn away from God when we have trouble. And we think that we need to fix it on ourselves. We're embarrassed. We think we did something wrong. And we try to fix it before we go to God for help. God is the help. And we see here in Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge. Can I ask you, you know, as I read that, I begin to start asking myself, how? Okay, so how is God our refuge when we have trouble? And as I was contemplating this this week, I think there's at least three ways he's our refuge. First of all, he, it's his nature. We've already talked about that. 
God is a God who comes near and invites us near. When we go to him for help, he saves us. That's his nature. Secondly, he shows up and supernaturally does it. The king, evil kings and good kings, are in the hands of God. He turns them to the right and to the left. So God supernaturally comes and changes the scenario. He acts on our behalf. We'll see that in just a minute. And the third way that he is our, actually our refuge is he gives us his word and his spirit to teach us his word so that day by day we are devoting ourselves to the word of the Lord and we're coming back to our problem and saying, okay, I'm, I'm facing a problem today with a refuge, a defense. I'm safe. I don't have to fix this problem. My, my way of thinking has changed because I'm spending time with God and he's changing the way I think about this problem as I wait for him to act. He's your refuge. Not only is he your defense, this says clearly God is our refuge and our strength. He's the muscle. He's not just the defense preventing further trouble. He's the offense advancing his kingdom. He's doing the work, and so God is our strength. The, uh, the idea here is while still surrounded by an evil and powerful opponent, God's people are completely confident of the victory. It's going to happen the way that God wants it to happen. Martin Luther, we sang uh, a mighty fortress is our God, all four verses this morning. We did that because Psalm 46 is the inspiration for a mighty fortress is our God. Every concept of a mighty fortress came from Psalm 46 through the pen of Martin Luther. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And we move to the next thing. Though this world, the next verse, though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through this. Satan's doom is sure. God's going to do it. You're not going to do it. God's going to do it. His doom is sure, and one little word from God will be the end of him. He's our refuge, and he's our strength. If we are surrounded by a world full of those who are devoted to oppose God, yet they cannot resist him. So from your jail cells and hospital rooms and from our military orders and from our courtrooms and from our bankruptcy hearings and adoption interviews and marriage arguments and every kind of trouble and every kind of, of difficulty in our lives, we say together one little word from God will bring his will to be. No one can resist him. And so God is our refuge and God is our strength. He's our, our very present help. The word very present there, it's, it's like very, 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 very available. It's an awkward word to translate. And you probably have a little note in your, your margin of your Bible there. He's our well-proven help. That's the best we can do with that in translation. He's well-proven, always available. The word help there is really an interesting word because it's a passive word and it's a future word, imperfect. And so what does that mean? It means that God isn't going to force his help on you. If you're going to try to fix your problem in yourself, 
even though you call yourself and I call myself a Christian, if I'm going to take matters into my own hands, God's help isn't going to be thrust upon you. It's passive in that sense. Very few places where God's, God's talked about in a passive. But here's what it means if you turn just for, if you turn to him. I wrote it down like this. He is easily and constantly available for you. He'll never say no. There won't be a time in your life where you will look back and say, at that moment, God turned his back on me. Never. Not going to happen. Because he's well-proven. He's old faithful. He's continually trustworthy. And so when you reach out to him, you'll always find him to be your help. I love the word help. Do you know in scripture there are two people who are called our help? It is God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so there's, but that's one person, all right? It's all under one category. The other person who's called the help, the wife. She gets things, she gets things done. She makes things happen. And I've done premarital counseling. I love to talk about this. And people, you know, sometimes in our culture are like, well, I don't really want to be called the, the helper. Or the, I don't like that word. And can I just tell you, it, all through the scriptures, God's called the helper. He's the one who sees the need and addresses the need. He's the one that gets it done. He's the muscle and the activity and the action behind. He's the one who comes through. In Psalm 27, verse 9, he's the one who helps us. We do not have an adversarial relationship with him. As I talked about earlier, sometimes we think we've got to go fix it and then come back to him when everything's okay. Or we've got to resist him because he's bringing the trouble on us. No. It's just nature to want to help. Psalm 27, 9 says, we, we, you're not my adversary, you're my help. Psalm 35, verse 2, I'm waiting for you to act, Lord. I'm waiting for you because you are the only one who can help me. He has perfect timing. Psalm 38, verse 22, he's the only one. Hurry, Lord, because you're the only one who can help me. I'm going down. And Psalm 60, verse 11, you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings... I sing for joy. And so we turn to him, old faithful, as we look back on our life and say, he's shown up time and time again. He's going to show up again. He's going to be here for us in our hour of need. And so God is our refuge and he is our strength and he is our very present help in time of need. Note that he's the one who changes minds. He's the one who does the work. He's the one who faces ongoing trouble. He redeems it. When you face a trouble that just won't go away, he's going to redeem that trouble. He's going to use it for good. The Bible says there's an eternal reward for those as you persevere through days and seasons of trouble. He'll make something good. And when our bodies are destroyed, that one verse in the... In the uh, uh, the song that we sang this morning, the Luther song, is so helpful to me because it says, you know what? I know he's going to deliver me and help me and the body they may kill. But his truth will endure forever. And so when we talk about the fact that God will help, that doesn't mean he always provides a physically positive outcome for you. That's not what that means. 
It means I come to him with no expectations and I say to, to God, you, you're my refuge. I'm here for help from you. You do it your way. One of the biggest frustrations of my life is when I come to God with a plan to tell him how I want him to fix the issue. Almost never have I seen him do it the way I wanted him to do it. He does it the way he's going to do it, and his very present help is better than anything you or I could ever dream of. So when our bodies are destroyed, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it guarantees life, and we look to him. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So therefore, we will not fear. We will not fear because God is our help. This does not mean you will not experience the emotion of fear. If you're that person in here and you're saying to me, based on Psalm 46, I'll never feel fear again, I would love to talk to you afterwards because I need you to help me with a lot in my life. A lot. What it means is, as we are surrounded by enemy, and interestingly, the, the words here, the pronouns are all collective, they're all plural, as we and us come together and we encourage one another and we look to the future, we won't make our decisions based upon fear. We won't stay in fear. We won't let the emotion of fear drive us to despair and, and ongoing anxiety, but we'll come under the word of God and believe that he is who he says he is. We'll find him in our day of trouble. And so our decisions about the future will be made based on the scriptures and the movement of the spirit, not based on the emotion of fear. You'll feel afraid. But you can make decisions that are wise and that are courageous. And so we will not fear. Our defense, God is our defense and he is our offense. God is easily and constantly available to us and we lean on each other for the, for the help that we need here in the church. And we're going to see that in the next stanza. So when trouble comes, we confidently trust God. When trouble stays, we confidently draw near to him. Trouble just doesn't come. Often it stays. And that's what's going on in this psalm. So if we look now, uh, Psalm 46, verse 4 there is a river, so we're still surrounded in the second stanza. We're still surrounded by trouble. And there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. While we're surrounded by the enemy, God is in the midst of her. And we see the emphasis here in this second point on staying near the Lord. The Lord's in the midst here in this psalm of the city, the city of God. We, we might say, put it this way, the God, God is in the midst of his people. We've made the point already, we need each other when we have trouble. You need a friend to encourage you and to remind you that the end of this is not going to be your destruction. The end of this is going to be God is in the midst of us. He stays close to us. And so our great hope is not peace. It's not the end of turmoil. It's not the, that the fight will stop. Our great hope is that God lives in the midst of his people. He lives in the midst of us. Look at verse uh, 5, or excuse me, verse 6. The nations rage 
and the kingdoms totter. I drew a line, you can do this if you want, from 6 back up to verse 3, and here's why. When the waters roar and foam, the nations rage and totter. Exact same words. Translated differently, so we have a picture of what water does and what kingdoms do. But here's the picture. If everything comes across in the rules of nature tomorrow and earthquakes come, we will trust the Lord. If natural things happen, we trust him. And in the second stanza, if nations rebel against him and seem to set themselves up as all-powerful, we will trust him. So it doesn't matter whether nature falls apart or nations fall apart, we will trust the Lord. And that's the emphasis of those words in verse 6 and verse 3. Nations will totter or rage and totter and waters roar and foam and yet we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. In fact, not only will we not fear after we come together and think this through, do you see what verse 4 says you'll do as we consider these things? Look at verse 4. There is a river, and the picture here is, here we are surrounded, we're in a fortified city like Jerusalem, we've got water bubbling up beneath the city, our enemies have cut off our supply lines and think they have us exactly where they want us, but there's this fresh, beautiful water, and the water is this picture of both blessing and restoration in your life, the blessing and restoration And not only are we not afraid in that moment that something is going to deviate God's plan, we're not afraid. Verse 4, the streams of that water make make the city of God glad. The holy habitation. So here, here it is. We are satisfied not when there's peace, not when there's ease, not when there's clear path forward. We are satisfied when we are the people of God and he makes his, his home with us in, our, in the midst of us and we know that nothing can deviate the plan that he'll do it. And so we're not only not afraid, we're completely glad for this moment. You know that God does his best work when it seems like there's no resources He delivers his children from the bondage of Egypt without an army. He he puts them in a land that they did not work for and gives them houses they did not build, a land flowing with milk and honey. He does his best work when it seems like all the resources, that there's just no resources for his people. And if you're at a place this morning where your trouble, your long, elongated trouble has put you in a position where your resources are spent, be encouraged, my friend. Draw near to God. Wait for him to act. Call a friend and go out for coffee and talk about the things of God. Ask them to pray for you and help you and maybe advise you. But spend some time just enjoying the presence of God because in his presence, there is gladness. When we make our home where God makes his home, we are glad. God's in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. And and my question to this text all week long was this question. 
When is that? I, I, when can we stand up and look at Psalm 46.5 and say, now this is saying the end of trouble. There's a, the, after the long night, there's going to be a sunrise for you. And here are my two answers. Number one, it's already taken place. We live in the sun. We live in the daylight. What I mean to say there is that this psalm looks forward to the Elohim, to God of the nations who makes a promise, and we're going to see it in just a minute. We're going to get to the stanza, who makes a promise that he would, he would take away the sins of the world, and he has sent his son into the world to die a death on your behalf and my behalf, and to be raised again the third day, guaranteeing life forever for all who die to self and give their lives over to Jesus Christ Repent of our sins and place faith and trust exclusively in him. And in the biggest sense, it's daytime for you, no matter what troubles you face. You say, well, okay, that's good for eternity. But I'm facing trouble today. When does my dawn come? Second answer to the question. Not yet. Job chapter 5 says that man was born for trouble. Like sparks shoot up out of the fire, you're going to have trouble. And so I am not guaranteeing, in fact, the scriptures make it so very clear that if we will follow after Jesus Christ, we will have trouble. We will have trial. We will be persecuted in this world. And so, yeah, it's true. One of the answers to the question is the, the morning dawning. This is an eschatological answer. And that just means at the end of time, when God comes back, all of your earthly troubles will be put away. All of your tears will be dried. All of your struggles will be redeemed and have meaning and glorified. And we will be with him forever. And I can tell you that as we trust the Savior, the struggles of today are going to be redeemed. God will help her when the morning dawns. Other places where that phrase is, is used, morning dawns, I've already mentioned one of them. When God redeemed his people from the Egyptians, uh, the scriptures say in uh, Exodus chapter 14 that when the morning dawned, God came and led them up out across the Red Sea. And God will be faithful to lead you and me out. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice. And that's where Martin Luther gets this phrase, one little word. He utters his voice and what happens? The earth melts. And that's where we come to our third point. Well, let, let, before we go to the third point, let me finish the second point by saying we're at verse 7 now. The Lord of hosts is with us. Verse 7 and verse 11, you guys know when you read poetry, you should look for uh, repeats. Verse 7 and verse 11 are exact repeats. They say the same thing in the same way. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. And so the explanation at the end of, in essence, verse 2 and verse 3 same explanation. The Lord of hosts, the Lord is a, the personal covenantal name. 
We've gone away from God is our refuge, the general, all-powerful God, and now we're talking about the Lord who keeps covenant. So the Lord of hosts, the word host there is about armies. So what we're saying here is the God who keeps covenant and has and is all-powerful is with us for good. Second part of that stanza is the God of Jacob. And what do we learn when we think about the God of Jacob? God makes promise. He kept, made promise and kept covenant to Jacob. Jacob is Israel. He is the people of the promise. So the all-powerful one who makes and keeps promises is your God. The emphasis on you, meaning personal. He sees your problems. He sees your Monday. He sees your life. He knows your season today. And so that's the stanza of this song. The all-powerful one who keeps promise and covenant to you. He sees you and he's with you. And so when trouble stays, confidently draw near to the Lord. I'll just say in closing that, that the Latin here. If, if we would have a, the Vulgate open, we would be learning about the constant faithfulness of God, and we might even read the phrase, semper fidelis, semper fi, Latin for always faithful, adopted in 1883 by the United States Marine Corps, is an eternal and collective commitment to the success of our battles. Thank you, U.S. Marines. Their semper fi mindset points our eyes to say, I want to be always faithful, and we serve a God who even more than uh, U.S. military endeavors guarantees constant faithfulness. God will always be faithful. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now we get to number three. When trouble tempts, confidently behold the works of God. What I mean to say is trouble stays and it stays and it stays. Sometimes when your trouble, when my trouble stays and it goes from a day or a a mini season to a lifetime situation, we're going to have to deal with. We start thinking we're going to solve the problem somehow, some way. What am I going to do? I need to devise a plan. I need to get myself ready. And, And there are ways in which we need to address issues in our life. There's no doubt that that is the case. But sometimes what I have done is said, okay, Lord, help me. And then two hours later, I find myself returning to the same old obsessive way of thinking that I was at just before I said I gave the problem over to the Lord. So I'm fearing again. And I'm not rejoicing that the Lord has made his home with me. And instead, I've taken up the problem again to try to devise a solution to it by manipulating, by coercing by forcing, by thinking. And so when trouble tempts us to to do those kinds of things, look at verse 8. Here's what you and I need to devote ourselves to. Confidently behold the works of the Lord. Verse 8 says it like this. Come behold the works of the Lord. You're still surrounded. There's still trouble. The enemy's still out there. He's still threatening. Okay, here's what you need to do. Discipline your mind to consider the works of the Lord. We've talked about what those works are already, but I just want to remind you what they are generally in all of history. He created it all. When mankind, you and me, made ourselves 
rebels against him. He made a promise. He called us near. He orchestrated all of history to bring Jesus into this world to pay your sin debt and to be raised the third day. Look at the works of the Lord. We could look at the works of the Lord and we read in this third stanza how he's made wars cease to the end of the earth. How does he do that? We should live in a world based on our understanding of humanity and sin that is constantly at war. And yet somehow God makes wars cease. Ultimately, one day he will stand as the king of kings and lord of lords. He's invited all the nations to come to him. He says here in this, come behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns chariots with fire. Look at verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Theme of this psalm, call all the nations to me. I love them all. I want them all to serve me. I will be exalted in all the earth. You don't have to worry that he won't be exalted in all the earth. He will be. He will move in hearts to do this. And so this is what we do. Rather than being tempted to gaze at our problems, rather than being tempted to be obsessed with our problems, every day we discipline ourselves to behold the works of the Lord. We consider how he's acted in the past. We consider how he's put wars to end. We consider what he said he's going to do for us. We embrace promises he's made to us. We look forward to a day when all the resistance in all of the nations around the world comes to an end. You remember what Isaiah says that's like? When all of the nations get together and conspire and try to stand against the Lord. And he says, you know, that's like when you're weighing something and you want to know exactly how much it weighs. And there's, there's dust on the scales. The dust on the scales is politics. The dust on the scale is wicked rulers around the world trying to lift their perspective above God's perspective. It's like dust. Did you ever clean the dust off the You get up in the morning and you really want to know you've been hitting it for a while. You've been hitting keto, doing well. Good job, guys. And you look down at the scale and you know, you, you kick off your shoes. You're standing there and you're like, you know, there's some dust on here. I just... Let me get the wet wipe. Now there's some wet wipe residue. Let me find something to dry that off because I don't want any extra weight. We don't do that. Well, I don't do that. Maybe you do that. I weigh so much that it's irrelevant if there's dust on the scale. Put it that way. So here's what we're saying here is, is that the nations can, can try to posture. They can move. They can maneuver themselves to get to a position, but at the end of the day, God is God. And he's inviting people from every tribe and every tongue to come to him. And that's what you should be setting your mind on day in and day out. And me too. The word here, behold, come behold the works of God. It means if you're going to stare at something, stare at what God's doing. Don't stare at what the enemy's doing. 
This verse 10 is an amazing verse. It seems out of place. Only from this perspective, all the other verses in the entire psalm are from the sons of Korah saying, let us, let us, let we, let's look at him, let's remind. And then verse 10, it's almost like God says, hey, give me the pen for a minute. Here's what he says. Be still and know that I am God. I think there's comfort for two groups of people in that verse. And I think the one we see all the time, by the way, be still is like a mom coming up to two kids and saying, would you stop it? Would you just quit it? Just quit it. Stop. All right. So mom's going to win that argument most of the time. But the, the goal is not just that the kids stop arguing, right? You want to train the kid's heart. The prerequisite to knowing God is stillness. Stop striving. Abandon your plan and know that God is God. So to Christians, I hope that that's a great encouragement. But you know what? I don't think that this Psalm 4610 is mostly to Christians. I think it's mostly to nations. When it says, nations, you can keep fighting and struggling and going on all you want. But here's what you're going to need to do in the end. Be still. There is going to be a day of reckoning when all the nations are still. When every eye is fixed on King of kings and Lord of lords. And all the things that were done to try to resist what he is doing is going to be viewed and they're going to look at that and shake their heads. And they're going to know that God is God. Hey, listen, if you're facing troubles today, why don't you face them like that right now? I'm trying. I know it's hard. That's why we need each other. That's why we need the word of God. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us. But here's what I can guarantee Martin Luther would remind us. One little word will fell him. The enemy cannot and will not be victorious over king of kings, over God, over Lord of lords. He can't do it. And so my encouragement as we close up today is this. If you have trouble... Press in to know the character of God. Press in to know him. If the trouble stays, get nearer to him. Buckle in. Don't wander away from him when the trouble persists. And if it stays even longer, and even if it doesn't stay even longer, set your mind on all the things that God has promised that he will do and that God is doing and has done and will do in the future. Let your mind be fixed on those things. And let your heart be glad. Because where God makes his home, he's in the midst of it. And there's this bubbling, beautiful water representing blessing and restoration for you. You find yourself a son of Korah, related to the great rebellion, judged in your past, rightly, trouble. And now today you stand leading in the congregation of the Lord. God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, friends, on this Memorial Day weekend, we will not fear. We stand and will be dismissed in prayer.
Father, we need help from you today, and we pray for it. The way that you help us is not merely inspirational or thinking good or right thoughts, though there's a part of that. We are, we are praying that you would come and address our troubles as our helper today. Would you do that? Help us to trust you and not only have a lack of fear, but the presence of gladness in our hearts as we wait for you to act. We're sure you're going to do it. We know that you've done it in Christ Jesus and that you will set all things right forever. That day's coming. And our heartbeat is not to be against the world or the nations. Our heartbeat is to invite the nations to come and see. God is our refuge and our strength a very present help in time of trouble. Dismiss us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.